All right, guys, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you guys. Um, it is middle of December almost, December 7th, actually, when I'm recording this. And I hope you guys had a great season. Um, I, you know, just recently got back from my last hunt, uh, technically, of 2022. I do still have one more hunt coming up in January, which I'm super excited about, but hope you guys had a great season. I know it was a great season for me. Uh, I was able to put a tag on my first mule deer ever, and then was able to get a nice, mature mule deer on my last hunt and um, filled two antelope tags uh, in Wyoming. So it's been a great year. Hope you guys had a great season as well. Um, this episode is a really good one. It's full of really great information. Um, so I know like silencers or suppressors, you know, have kind of been getting more and more popular lately in hunting. And, um, I actually did my paperwork to get a suppressor back in late February, early March. And, um, I just got word that, uh, I've been approved and it's actually in the shipping process right now. So I'm super excited about that. Um, you know, but there's a ton of like misinformation out there about suppressors. And I know myself even, I didn't really know much about them. I was kind of confused by the process. Um, and, you know, even why you'd want a suppressor for hunting or defense. Um, since then, I've I've really learned the, um, you know, I was on a hunt with uh, Mark Livesey last year, that bear hunt, and he had a suppressed rifle. And um, not only is it, you know, make it so you don't need ear protection. Um, that's how drastic the uh, the sound reduction is. It's actually their their uh, hearing safe, or I think it's uh yeah, I think it's called hearing safe. But anyway, um, and they reduce recoil. They can actually um, help you shoot more accurately. They have a less you know less signature for in terms of scaring game away, or if you need to make a follow up shot. There's tons of great reasons to have one. Um, you know, they're a very useful tool for hunting, and the new technology they're not they're not that heavy and big as you might think, and um, you know, Silencer Central is um, a company that's made the entire process super easy. They walk you through every step of the way. They basically hold your hand through the process, and then at the end of it, when you are approved, uh, the suppressor gets actually shipped right to your door, which is amazing. And I'm pretty sure the, they're the only company that can do that. So today's guest is actually the founder and CEO of Silencer Central. And um, you know, when I started the process to get mine. Um, I had I'd n- never spoken with anyone. I had you know no relationship with Silencer Central at the time of this recording. I still have no professional ties to Silencer Central whatsoever. I just through my research found them and heard they were the best. And I gotta say, like again, completely from a consumer standpoint, you know, no deals or anything with the company at all. Um, they are amazing. Um, it made the process super simple. Um, as quick as possible. Everything you need gets sent right to you. Um, it's very easy to reach an actual human on the phone. Um, you know, and it just they've really figured out a way to streamline the process. So if you're thinking about it at all, give them a call. They'll answer all your questions. Um, and uh, it's, you know, they're a great tool to have for defense and for hunting. And I can't wait to get mine. I'm going to be probably using it on every hunt from now on. Um, so anyway, today's podcast is great. Um, if you're, you know, want to hear more about it and the process and, you know, um, 
and just from a personal standpoint, I get into some stuff with uh, Brandon Maddox, the CEO, and and what it means to build a successful company and how to how to do that. So it's a great episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, please don't forget to leave me a rating or a review. Those things are super helpful. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel and be on the lookout. I've got some exciting news coming down the pipeline for you guys as far as where the Hunter's Quest is going. Looking forward to sharing that. But for now, let's just jump into this episode with Brandon Maddox from Silencer Central. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome to the show. This is your host, Hunter, and I'm joined today by my guest, the, I guess, founder and CEO of uh, Silencer Central, Brandon Maddox. How you doing, man? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's great to have you. So, um, <clears throat> so Baker from Black Rifle connected us. He's kind of a buddy, and um, but the funny thing is I actually started the process of getting a banish 30 uh back in late february early march and i just got the like tracking like shipping notification like friday like a couple days ago (laughs) hey perfect yeah no i did search your email address on my email and i noticed that so yeah you being a customer even before we knew you right (laughs) yeah man so i was i was really hoping to like have it in time but it's okay the timing was just uh, just a little off but it's it's still pretty cool that I was able to uh, connect with you guys, like in the the timing of it all. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah, man. So, um, so yeah, like I said, at the you know at the time of this recording, you know, just for my listeners, you know, I have no official connection to Silencer Central at all. Uh, I'm coming at this purely from a customer standpoint, um, and um, yeah, so. Everything I say is, you know, completely unbiased. Uh, I just kind of, I heard of you guys, and um, I'm not sure where I first came across. It might have been on another podcast or whatever, but I've also met some of you guys at different trade shows and stuff, and, um, you know, so, um, and just, you know, I want to get more into the process and stuff later, but I just want to say up top, I've been extremely impressed uh, with you guys, the ease of the process, the... um, you know, there's been a couple times where I need to call, like I need to call and change my shipping address one time. There was another time when there was a, a problem on my end, something I had done wrong. I had to call in customer service, and like I was kind of like beforehand, I was like, oh geez, like you know, it's gonna probably take like you know four hours to get a human on the phone. But no, it was like almost instantaneous. Got a human on the phone. Like super impressed by that. Good, perfect. So, um, so anyway, we'll jump into that stuff later. But before we kind of do, I do, I do want to hear because. You know, obviously, I'm interested in you know suppressors and as it relates to defense and especially hunting and stuff. That's kind of the main focus of the podcast. Um, but also, I just like talking to kind of like successful individuals and you know entrepreneurs and stuff. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background personally, um, as well as kind of the formation of the company and that kind of stuff. Just because I'm interested in entrepreneurship and that kind of thing. Yeah, good question. So. I grew up in North Carolina, not okay, too cool. far from what where part? you are. Yeah. What part of North Carolina? Uh, kind of near the Raleigh-Durham area. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, I went to undergrad and pharmacy school at Chapel Hill there in North Carolina. Nice. And then I went into the pharmaceutical industry down in Florida and then uh, 
my employer at the time, pharmaceutical industry, told me I had to go back and get my MBA. So I went I went to Duke just because they were paying for it. So um, people okay. think that's unusual that I'm a pharmacist. And I went to probably two of the bigger rivalries there. Yeah. goes Duke and <laughs> yeah, Chapel seriously. Hill. Yeah. <laughs> um, Great schools, though. Yeah. No. It's, so, um, you know, I spent a first part of my career in the pharmaceutical industry, like sales, uh, sales training, marketing, marketing yeah. management, sort of moved up that ladder. And then met my wife, who is also a pharmacist at a pharmacy convention, and she's from South Dakota. So that's how I okay. ended up here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, I started shooting prairie dogs out here, and uh, they're not very bright, but they're astute enough <laughs> that if they hear a shot, they realize yeah. that's probably not going to be a good result for them. Right. Um, so it just got frustrating to drive four, four and a half, five hours west, take a few shots, and they all go under, you know, underground and hide. Yeah. And then have to sit there and wait for them to come back up. So that's where I got the idea of getting a suppressor. And it's hard for people to fathom, but like in that 2000, early 2000s, honestly, there was really nothing online about hunting with suppressors. And yeah, it seems like it's kind of a recent thing that a lot yeah. of guys have gotten more into it. Do you think that's because of just it's become easier or? No, that's a good question. I mean, I think, so they really started taking it off in 2009. And I think it's because the, you know, each person has to pay that tax, that $200 to buy one. And I think just with inflation as the, you know, not that $200 is nothing, but over time, obviously that's yeah. less. But I think also just, it's it seems like it's word of mouth. Once someone uses it, they're typically yeah. hooked and then they end up getting another one and then they tell their buddies. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I used to say back then that everything I read online about getting a suppressor was inaccurate, which was true at the time, which just seems crazy, but everything I would read was totally wrong, which maybe that's helped me because it's created so much misinformation that there's a lot of desire to learn the right information. Mm -hmm. So to be in a good position to provide that has been helpful. But so I bought one for Prairie Dog Hunt. I love the suppressor. The process was horrible. They warned me it would be um, they said, are you sure you don't want to buy one? It's going to be horrible. Yeah. They're right. It was. How um, long did it take back then? You know, believe it or not, when I first started, it took two weeks. If you used a truck. Oh, wow. Yeah, there was no background check on a truck. So it just okay. went back through. Now, the ones I bought, I bought as an individual. So it still took a while um, back then. But I think it was like six to eight months. It's just, okay. I mean, it's not a knock on a gun store, but typically a gun store, their business model is you pick out the product you want, you have a background check and you leave with it. So it's kind right. of a single transaction. I sort of use a crude analogy that we're sort of like an OBGYN. You got to talk to us for an extended period of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's a fair amount of back and forth. Like you said, shipping addresses changes, you know, we need clarification on stuff. So it's, a, it's a little bit of back and forth and it's hard for like a retail setting where you have one single point of contact to yeah. manage that. When you start scaling it up, it just starts falling apart. For um, sure. So the first one I bought was too heavy. So I was like, gosh, I love it, but I want to get a different one. Second one I bought was really short and smaller. So it was lighter, but it's too loud. So it wasn't until the third time that I said, hey, I want to get my own license. I want to be able to help myself get one through a process um, that I can control. And I'm not sort of at the fate of someone else. And yeah. my wife, all her brother-in-laws are big hunters and they're all dentists. So they have disposable income. So they kind of decided they wanted one after they saw how easy I made it. And then... Yeah. Um, Honestly, I just started working gun shows. Um, it's a little difficult for a Southern boy to move up here to South Dakota and not talk like everyone else and <laughs> not necessarily be a gun collector. I would say I'm more so now, but back then it was gun shows were based on collectors. 
Mm. Um, they were a little hesitant for silencers. They don't think they really, they kind of felt like I was an outsider, but yeah. So I got into the group and started pushing them and there's just tons of questions. And like you said, you've seen us at events. We work a lot of events. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how we got started really was just working events and answering questions and, um, just face to face. I think that's really helped us. We're a little bit different in that we are a manufacturer. We're a wholesaler and we're a dealer. So it's sort of like a single point of contact for everything. Right. My theory being that anytime you have to involve the government with different transactions, you're just asking for trouble. So to have one single point of contact seems to work out really well. And then Silencer Central's um, licensed in 42 states. So we're able to mail it to your front door there in Virginia, the same yeah. as if you lived in another state where they're legal. So it's, it's worked out really well. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, just, just stepping back a little bit. Um, what, what drew you to pharmacy? I'm just curious. My dad's a pharmacist. Okay. Uh, yeah. And back then it was only a five-year program. So I was kind of like, okay, I can go to school for four years and I don't know what I'll do. Or, you know, you always have something to fall back on. So I keep yeah. my license up and, um, in, in North Carolina where I went to school and then my first place that I moved to was Florida. I have, I'm licensed there and then I'm licensed here in South Dakota. So I keep it up, um, every year, Florida's every two years, but, um, yeah, it's, um, it's something good to fall back on. You know, I'm yeah. not a big fan of, uh, the guy who started Nike, but he had the same concept where he was, he's a CPA and he just uh -huh. sort of used that as a back, as a backdrop, as he went through his entrepreneur life, figuring that mm -hmm. I do think you'd potentially maybe take more risk because you know you can fall back on something and survive. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly an industry that's probably never going to go. Well, will never go away. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, that's interesting. So, um, and the thing that's interesting too is like, in a way, it's almost like it kind of um, it kind of sets you up for this in a way because it's another profession where you're dealing with government entities and licensing and, and state regs and all that. Do you think there's a lot of crossover there that helped you out? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know, it's interesting because the building that we're in now, <clears throat> it, it's actually the first place I worked when I moved to South Dakota. It was a mail order pharmacy. Uh, it's, you know, it's 45,000 square foot building. It's pretty big, but we mailed prescriptions all over the country. I mean, we well, were you said the building you're in now yeah. was the same building with the old company. Where I moved, yep. So when I first, so you moved bought to, it or? Yeah, yeah, I bought it. Yeah. So when I moved <laughs> to South Dakota, like, so, you know, just we're living in Florida and, um, you know, the, our, our first daughter was born and, you know, it was kind of a rough pregnancy. Like we weren't sure she's going to be healthy. So mm. my wife said, Hey, would it be nice to live near family? And my family's pretty spread out. So she's like, would you be interested in going back to South Dakota? And, you know, I'd come here for Thanksgiving and it's, you know, really cold. There's a lot of yeah. wind and especially coming from Florida and there's different food. And, you know, so I was kind of like, well, if you can make as much as you do here in Florida, I'll go. I just didn't think that that was possible. Right. But uh, fortunately for her, she was able to find a job in about a week. So then I had to find a job. <laughs> And Cigna Teldrug was a mail-order pharmacy that was based here. And uh, they were looking for a pharmacist in charge, like a head pharmacist. And I told my wife, there's zero chance they hire me because I've never filled a prescription in my life. Uh, I applied and they hired me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this building, when I saw it was for sale, I instantly was interested in it because it had a warehouse where we kept the meds, but then also uh -huh. had office space, which is really what we needed. So, um yeah, I kind of got that idea from there. And I do mention that to ATF occasionally because I would I would say I speak to ATF at least weekly and meet with them three times a year. And I remind them that in pharmacy, you have to comply with state law and federal law. And really, firearms are the same. I mean, we don't yeah. talk about it too much in Virginia and other states that are, you know, gun friendly. But there's there's a handful of states that kind of have their own rules. And you got to play by both of them. Yeah. 
And do you think that um, being where you are physically located has been advantageous to kind of this whole thing too? You know, a lot of people look at me and say, how in the heck were you able to start that there? Like, they just don't think there's enough population density here. But I tell you, there's there's sort of this really avid uh, coyote hunters, and that's a huge benefit for coyote hunters. So I would say probably 95% of my business for the first five or six years was all coyote hunters. And um, so I think it did help me at the time. Probably didn't realize it, that there's a lot of varmint hunting out here and a lot of hunters. Yeah. And, you know, as we went to additional states, I think people would – like they like to come here and hunt in the Dakotas. So even though you went to Minnesota or you went to Wisconsin or you went to Iowa to promote your products, a lot of people were familiar with coming here and hunt. So they liked the idea of buying something that was based here. So it definitely helped at the time you'd think, man, why th this is, you know, if I had a map and you could pick any state, you probably wouldn't have picked South Dakota. You would have probably picked Texas, Florida, yeah. Georgia, you know, somewhere where you have a lot of feral hogs, a lot of, um, you know, people that are hunting, a lot of firearm ownership, but right. South Dakota has been perfect. I mean, there's not the population density here, but there's definitely the, the hunters and the people that can yeah. benefit with the varmint hunting. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, do you think that, well, it seems like, I mean, I don't know if, if you, I don't know, like if you're a man of faith or not, but it almost, it seems like um, a lot of things like kind of came full circle and worked out like almost like this is kind of like your destiny. Oh, totally. Oh yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. A hundred percent man of faith and agree a hundred percent that oh, cool. somebody had a plan. Cause the, what's interesting is um, I was in a pharmaceutical industry and I got fired for doing this part time. Cause you know, before yeah. I just worked weekends, I just worked shows. And then they kind of called me in and said, hey, you know, we understand you're doing this on the side, so we're going to terminate your employment. So, of course, my wow. wife wasn't too happy at the time because there you know, weren't too many jobs in the pharmaceutical industry that paid that well in South Dakota. But um, it made me sort of retool and, you know, think of ways that I could, you know, try to make the situation work out. <laughs> yeah. So it, was it because it was something you were passionate about and like just – enjoyed that kind of industry more than the pharmaceutical stuff like what drew you into that or was it just like the entrepreneur side or kind of both or what yeah good question um you know so or is it just a good business opportunity yeah no i think all the above so it's okay. interesting because you know when when you're in pharmacy school you have to put so many hours behind the counter to actually get your license so um you know, my family is originally from Alabama, so I worked in drugstores there just to get my hours so I could sit for the boards. And, you know, people would come in and may, let's say their copay back then was $5 to get a medication that could save their life. They would complain about spending five bucks, which, I mean, I get it. That's, that's just the way it is. But with a suppressor, if somebody wants it and it's for their hobby, they find a way to get the money. It's very interesting <laughs> to me that you have a drug for five bucks that could save your life and you're complaining about how expensive it is. And then you have a situation where you want something so bad, you find a way to get the money and get it. It was just yeah. a different experience. That it was uh, it was fun. But the other thing that was very interesting to me about suppressors is one thing I liked about it is having had been in sales and marketing, I could see there was a lot of misinformation. So there was a ton mm. of um, people being very inquisitive. Mm -hmm. I always say it sounds boastful, but every show we've ever worked for the last, you know, 18 years, we're typically, without exception, always the busiest booth because there's a million questions. How do I get it? What's the paperwork? Yep. How long is the wait? How do I get it on the gun? Who do I have to tell? Who else can use it? How do I leave it so when I die? I mean, there's like all these questions. How much what's suppressed? Do I have to get one for every gun? I mean, there's so many questions <laughs> that people just fire away at you. Right. You can tell they really want to know the answer. So you kind of feel like you're bringing value because they don't know it. 
But the other good thing about working gun shows is um, it's it was sort of a social thing where people would go to a lot of the shows so you could get real-time feedback about how the process was going. But uh-huh. what I love the most is there was people that were always on the fence that I would push them really hard from like a sales perspective to get it. And then so, six months later, you'd see them and they had the biggest grin ever like, I absolutely love it. I wish yeah. I had talked to you years ago. This is like life changing. This is so cool. You know, just to have somebody to have that experience. It sounds For weird. Sure. I mean, it's it's hard to convince people I went to pharmacy school with that this would be you know, a good choice for a career and be something fun back when I first started. But um, yeah, I do like filling the knowledge gap, but also I love the before and after. People are like, gosh, I don't know why I waited so long. I like literally 100%. I can't think of anything else you can sell hardly where someone tries it and it just completely changes their outlook on everything. They start shooting more. They start enjoying it more. They yeah. start telling their friends about it. They get more friends to shoot with them. It's 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 interesting. That is cool. Um, you miss, You mentioned like misinformation and like, there definitely is a ton of that. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, also it, to me, it's like, why is it so hard to get one of these things? It's like, it's easier to get a gun, which you yeah. could kill someone with yeah. or yourself or whatever, yeah. than it is to get this part for a gun that right. doesn't make it any more lethal. Why is that? Do you have any theories? <laughs> You know, Chris, I read about this kind of stuff all the time. That's one thing I have uh, done is immerse myself in the compliance side, just yeah. to be able to scale up the business, to be in all these states, you really have to have a good understanding of the, you know, the background yeah. of the laws. But, you know, reading reading sort of the laws from the 30s, because it was created in 34, um, you know, they originally created this National Firearms, uh, you know, branch, act, you know, whatever you want to call it, in response to the machine guns. And they created that $200 tax and it was like the bank 100. robbers with the Tommy guns and stuff. hundred percent. So yeah. it's, it's basically, it's a hundred percent tax on a machine gun is what it was when it was created in 34. So that's where they got to 200 bucks. You know, you hear different theories. It's hard to find a documented, but I've heard one theory of um, the Congress wanted to put uh, regular handguns into the national, the NFA act. And then someone pulled it out and said, let's swap that for silencers. The other side yeah. I've heard is that, <laughs> there was really no advocate at the table for silencers. So when silencers got added, no one said, Hey, what are we doing? You, you hear some like hearsay of whether theories that during the depression, people were going to poach their neighbor's cattle and that this Uh. will keep that from happening. You know, you hear all kinds of theories. I think the most likely theory is that it was added and there was no advocate there at the table that said, Hey, what are you thinking? This is, this is, this doesn't make sense. Right. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, cause even, yeah, even me, like, you know, I've been around guns and shooting guns my whole life. And, um, and I think most people that are, you know, coming to you are in that boat, but still like there is so much misinformation. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Um, what, you know, what it, you mentioned, like, you know, meeting with the ATF and stuff like that, like, what is your relationship with ATF? Cause I mean, um, I, I was kind of wondered, like, you know, you're, you're kind of taking a process, which, um, it almost seems like it's designed to be a barrier to entry. Like, it's almost like, it seems like they want people to just kind of be like, ah, it's too hard and not do it. And you're coming in and like making it super easy and kind of like almost getting people in mass to get these things. So do you have a, um, difficult relationship with ATF? Do they like what you're doing? Do they not like it? Or is it neutral or what? How's that like? Yeah, good question. So, you know, when I first, my second location was North Dakota. So first was South Dakota. Second location was North Dakota. I found out really quickly. I just didn't know what I was doing to go to a second state. So uh-huh. I hired 
the National Shooting Sports Foundation. You know, they have a consultant you can hire who comes from ATF. And I ended up hiring them to kind of come in and help me figure out what I was doing. And I think he did a really good job of sort of challenging me to um, have an open relationship with ATF, meaning that if you don't know, just call them. It's better to call and find out you're doing something wrong and correct it than it is to get caught doing something you shouldn't be doing. Right. So that honestly created, because what I found out was the, the process that we use, I've been using for, gosh, you know, almost 18 years. Um, there's a form that you're supposed to use with that process that was no longer in print. So I really need to seek out their permission to do something else or to get their feedback on how they wanted me to execute that. Mm -hmm. And that created a dialogue where um, I you know, started working with them. We have several variances, which allow us not necessarily to do something different than other dealers, but it just sort of, um, most of the gun laws are written pre-digital. So if you can right. think of a way that will not conflict with the law, but make life easier for them to inspect you, but also make life easier for you, you can right. present it to them and they can um, assess it. So I've done enough of those combined with just us being so big that I've gotten to know them really well. Uh, to your question, I would say my perception of them is they feel like they're just there to implement whatever Congress tells them to. So they kind of neutral on an opinion about, you know, what's, what's good, what's bad. Now I would say in gray areas, they're more opinionated. Um, if they feel like it's a public safety issue, right. I don't think they feel like silencers are a public safety issue. You know, occasionally we'll have one mismailed or something. When I call, it's actually hard for me to get them excited about helping me find it. So I'm not <laughs> saying they're indifferent, but um, I could just tell they don't, they don't see silencers as a public safety issue. I mean, that doesn't mean they don't regulate us hard. It just means that they're not looking for ways to tighten the screws tighter. I think they feel like the process in place is working because it's not a public safety issue. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people in the industry think I'm crazy, but um, I, I've just, I just have a weird habit of calling them saying, Hey, how do we do this? What's the right way? How, I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, when you, I've got 43, uh, licenses out there. And if I'm doing something wrong, I'm putting the entire business model at risk, including right. my employees, including my customers. So it's better for me to ask for feedback than to make a mistake. And it has cost me on most occasions when I ask for feedback, they typically want me to do it more stringent than when I'm doing it. It ends up costing me more money. But at the end of the day, I feel like I can sleep because I know I'm doing exactly what they told me I should be doing. Yeah. You don't want to be cutting corners or worried you know because no. it's even if it does cost you more in the short run like if you know like you said if, if you make a big mistake and they find out like way down the road then that yeah. could be really bad yeah and i'm always anytime they do a presentation can like sort of compliance related i'm always there on the front row taking notes it just for me because a lot of it was written in 68 the gun control act and then the nfa part was written in 34 they're so old you almost have to be talking to them real time just throughout the year so that you know if their interpretation of stuff as bad as it sounds i mean it's yeah. easy to say they shouldn't have the authority to do that and i agree they shouldn't but unfortunately they do so it's almost like it's a reality you got to deal with yeah well i feel like a lot of my listeners probably will sort of know you know the ad the advantages of of um you know being suppressed but let's just take it back a little bit just for people who might be like, well, what's, you know, why are we talking about this? Like why, from your perspective, um, you know, why get a silencer or a suppressor? Yeah. Good like, point. What, what makes them good? So one thing I will mention that most, <clears throat> it, it, most people won't 
probably believe, but I can't think of any hunter who's ever bought one who later didn't say it was a good decision. So that you know, that's that's sort yeah. of like the end of the discussion yeah. in the because most people like the perception in their brain at the beginning is like, oh, that's you know, it only has like military applications, yeah. or the only reason I want one of those is if I'm like gonna go you know assassinate somebody or something. <laughs> like, totally, no, totally, yeah. That's, I was at a swim meet the other day, and I had a customer come to me. He said, "You remember me from about twelve years ago?" And I go, "Oh yeah." He said, when I bought one, everyone, all my friends said, I'll never buy one. It's too much hassle, you know, yeah. yada, 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 a million reasons why they wouldn't want one. He said, every one of them have one now, you know, fast forward, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 12 yeah. years. And but real so quick, the, before we before we j- jump in real quick, just where I thought about it, like, so in the kind of like backcountry Western hunting space, I feel like even in, just in the last like year or two, they've really like kind of like hit. Yeah. Um, do you think that like... Do you have any idea where that came from, or is that? Do you think you guys have played a big role uh, in that, just just by making the process easier, um, or is it something else that's like? Because I, I really do feel like that it's just in, like in the last, like I said, in the last couple of years, you see a lot of guys talking about it, bringing them out. You know, like, do you know yeah. why that is? Is that because of you guys, or is that something? Are you guys just timed right, or what? What is that? Yeah, good question. You know, I I. <clears throat> obviously you know you hate to like pat yourself on the back we we really focus on hunting because that's our roots and that's mm. kind of where i started i find most um people that make suppressors are typically focused more on the tactical and yeah it's probably a bigger market the tactical but uh from our perspective hunting is where we started a lot of our products are built for ta- for the hunting like right. far as super quiet lightweight come apart to clean those are the kind of things that hunters want but I, I do think we we do a lot with the conservation groups um, far as working events and getting mm-hmm. to know their boards and finding ways to partner with them and talk to their membership. And some of those started out as tough discussions with we're not sure our, you know, think of a board typically older, well off, maybe close to retirement. Right. They're not 100 percent on board with this. So we don't know if we can work with you. So there was sort of a grassroots on our part to sit down, meet with them, educate them. Gradually, they become more comfortable. They roll more information out. They do more stuff at um, in their publications and then at events. I feel like it's helped. Yeah. Um, I think if you think about it too, like the drive to reduce weight, you see a lot of thin pencil barrels. You see carbon fiber really popular. People are trying to reduce weight. I think there was this negative connotation. The suppressor's too heavy, adds too much weight on the mm-hmm. end. It's not worth the value of putting it in the pack. But I think like our suppressors are 100% titanium. When people pick them up at shows, they're like, man, I'm in. I got to have this just because it's so much lighter than like a, a, a stainless steel model. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's helped too. Part of it is just like I said earlier, I have yet to meet, I can't think of anyone I've met and all the suppressors I've sold over all the years, a hunter who used one that didn't say it's perfect. Yeah. Before they would say, Brandon, and I shoot three shots a year, two shots to sight the rifle in, one to shoot my deer. I never miss. <laughs> Why would I want a suppressor? So, you know, it's sort of like, well, once you try it, you'll, you'll, you'll be glad you did. Yeah. yeah. One, one so, thing is, oh, good. Well, obviously one benefit is the sound. You know, most of them are hearing safe. You don't have to wear earplugs. So that's a benefit. If you think about hunting as typically social, you're there with family, you're there with friends. Yeah. You don't have to wear earmuffs or earplugs. Right. You're able to communicate better, which is a huge positive just yeah. from, you know, ability. Yeah, to I was, sorry to interrupt you, but just on that note, I was on a hunt just uh, a month ago and um, I shot my deer. And so I'm, um, you know, I'm filming all my hunts for for um for some content i'm creating um and uh but anyway so i shot my deer and then my cameraman was actually hunting as well so then it was my turn to be cameraman and so i'm you know and when i shoot i only put normally 
a hearing plug or an earplug in my left ear. Yeah. Uh, I found that that's I don't need one in my right ear. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that is. Maybe you probably know, but um, anyway, so we're going up there. Um, we're on the stock. I'm he's right on my left. I got one in my left ear, and I'm filming. At the last minute, I had to switch over and go to the other side, and I didn't have time to put one in. And I'm shooting this 300 Win Mag right here with the brake on it, and I'm just like Ooh. holding the camera, like I, I'm just I just know it's coming, like it's gonna hurt. I'm just like don't flinch, don't flinch, and like um, it's I don't know. Some guys can do it. It's almost impossible for me to not flinch when the 300 Win Mag goes off like two feet from my head. Oh, yeah. So and I didn't have an earplug in that. And I just knew it was coming. Um, so I ended up getting some pretty shaky footage on that, which is annoying. But um, that's just one example of like you know, if you if I had that thing on there, I wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah, you know. The, or you and know. if you're filming, you know, if you got a cameraman with you, you don't got to worry about you know him yeah, flinching yeah. or him throwing your plugs in or whatever. No, totally. So we talked about sound, the hearing. Um, the other benefit is recoil. People forget that it's just as effective as a break, you know, 40 to 45% recoil reduction. That's awesome. Um, you typically get better accuracy and it's just having that extra weight on the end of the barrel. I know a lot of video games will say that it negatively impacts like feet per second and accuracy, but that's incorrect. It'll speed it up a little bit hmm. and it'll actually make it more accurate. It's almost like right. a bull barrel, having a little bit of weight on yeah, the end. Yeah, longer barrel too. Yep. You know, the benefits I've seen in hunting, too, are not that anyone's ever missed, but if you miss, you typically get a follow-up <laughs> shot because they just they, they can hear the shot go off, but it's not distinct in one spot for them to tell where it came from. So, honestly, they don't know which way to run because if you can't mm -hmm. tell where it came, which way it came from, you don't know which direction to run in. Yeah. A lot of coyote hunters will say, hey, he started running towards me because he heard the bullet drop behind him. They started running towards me. Um, so that's a benefit. You know, obviously the other part is, like you said, if two people are shooting in the same area, once you shoot, you don't have to necessarily go, go to a new location because right. it typically won't scare everything off. Um, you know, I spent uh, two weeks in Africa doing a safari there. And the big distinction that I found, and you see it a lot in prairie dogs, but even on big game, you could tell almost instantly when you hit if it was a kill shot. Just because you're not hearing the loud percussion, you're hearing that Bump oh, you can hits. hear the you impact. Can, yeah. So I could tell that the the tracker and the professional hunter, they loved it because they could just tell instantly like, oh, that was a perfect shot. I could tell the way it hit. It was perfect. You know, they just, yeah. you have a, a lot more transparency where you could tell how your shot placement was. Sure. And especially if you're shooting like, you know, like a 300 wind mag, you right. know, I found out because I, I went from a 6.5 Creedmoor on most of my hunts last year to this one. And like, that's one of the biggest things is like, there's so much recoil that, a lot of times I'm like asking my camera guy, like, did, did I hit him? Like, did yeah, you see yeah. him? Did he go down? Because yeah. you just lose, you know, completely. But yeah, with that, I can imagine you'll be able to hear the impact and maybe be able to, you know, get your your target acquisition quicker uh, with some less recoil. Do you find that as well? Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, it seems weird with the prairie dogs because even a, a 22 to 50, you know, if you're shooting four or 500 yards, you get just enough a jump, then it's hard to keep them in the scope. But with that silent, with a suppressor on there, you don't have to worry about that. And yeah. I shot a 300 wind mag too when I was in Africa and it worked, it worked perfect. Just nice. You get so many repeat shots because you could just stay right on the animal. You didn't have enough, you know, recoil to sort of jump it off yeah. of your sight pattern. And one of the pieces of misinformation I, I had in my brain w was that, Oh, you know, they will, um, I, I kind of thought that Hollywood had like over, like overblown, like how much they work. Yeah. Um, which maybe they have, I don't know, you know, but, um, 
you know, I, I kind of was like, okay, well, yeah, maybe on a nine millimeter pistol or something. Yeah. But on a big hunting rifle, like it's not going to make that much difference, but I was on a bear hunt this year and I was actually filming, uh, for my buddy Mark and he shot a bear with a suppressed 300 wind mag. And I was like floored. Like, yeah. I mean, you literally don't need ear protection. What, what's the like decrease in, is there like a decibel rating that decreases the shot to, or. Yep. So 140 is where you want to be at 140 or less. And then you don't have to wear earplugs. Okay. And typically, um, you're going to see it drop it by 30 or 35 decibels. So like a 308, 300 wind max, you're going to be in that 165 type range. So, you know, 170. So to be able to drop it, you know, 30, 35 is quite a bit. Yeah. Um, especially in open spaces. So you're probably wherever you're bear hunting, it's open. It's perfect. Sometimes yeah. if you're in the South, you're in a lot of trees, you'll hear a little bit of echo, but when you're in a bright open, you know, field open area and there's nowhere for that sound to come back, it is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely was, um, definitely was impressed by it. Um, so let's see, let me just hit my list over here. Um, Oh, oh yeah. What I wanted to ask was, um, so I know that, so if I, if I purchase one, um, I know that I can't like loan it out, but let's say we're in that, that same kind of, uh, situation I was just mentioning a lot of times on these like backcountry hunts, we're already bringing in camera gear and eight days worth of stuff. So we'll, we'll just share one rifle. Yep. Um, is it legal for if the things in my name only I shoot my deer and then my buddy uses my rifle when I'm there present, is that hunky dory? Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. So they say you don't sort of, sort of the direction I've gotten from ATF verbally is that you don't lose um, possession of it. If you can still see the person. So if they're okay. still, you know, within your site, you haven't lost possession of it. So they, another person could use it. But then of course the benefit too, is we give you a free gun trust. So you could actually add someone to the gun trust as long as they're 18 or older and they're not prohibited. And then that person can use it when you're not there. Okay. There's no background check or anything to add them. It's, it's a stroke of a pen adds them. So it's, it's convenient and not that difficult. Yeah. Since you mentioned it, I think that's probably a point of confusion for a lot of people. Yep. Um, in fact, myself included until I just listened to another podcast you were on, okay. but, uh, could you, could you run through the trust thing? Like yeah. why set up the trust and, and like, um, do you guys do that? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, you know, a lot of people say, do I buy as an individual or do I buy as a trust? You know, Obama changed some laws in 2016 that sort of clouded the issue even further. In my mind, the trust is really the only way to go. It just, it creates a joint ownership. Essentially, um, it also keeps the suppressor a little bit of an arm length distance from you personally. Mm. Basically, the trust owns the suppressor. So think of it as almost like a mini corporation that owns the suppressor. And then anyone else you add to it can also use it when you're not there. You mm. can also designate who gets it when you pass away. So that's beneficial just from like a secession planning. Yeah. And yeah, and it sounds essentially, you know, we've been doing it so long. Unfortunately, I've had the spouse's call where, hey, I'm a widow. What do I do with this now? And and really the best way to handle it is through a gun trust. So we set it up, you know, for you free um, and then make it where it's pretty turnkey from that point. If you want to add people and remove people, we have a template where you could just sort of plug and play. But cool. Um, yeah, it's de it's definitely the way to go just because you can share it with other people so people can use it when you're not there and also it yeah. picks who gets it when you pass away. And if you want to only have yourself on there, then that's fine too. So then, you, But you still have the benefit where you could do more stuff than if you have it as an individual. Because as an individual, really only you can have it and then it is a lot of paperwork once you pass away to get it transferred to somebody yeah. else. 
So if I do the trust, which um, I'm, you guys automatically do that with all your customers, correct? Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yep. Um, at no extra cost, I think too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, so you know, <clears throat> my son's only eight years old now, but let's say ten years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he's going out hunting for by himself. Uh, if I add him to the trust, I can just he can take it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And um, the the process was so easy. Um, I already am thinking about the second one, <laughs> but I have to, you have to do the process again, right? You can't just get another one on the same trust. You or... know, we would, we'd use the same trust cause we keep it on file. The same trust, your but fingerprints. Yeah. So we, it's a little bit quicker cause um, we have all your information still on file. Right. But, but the, yeah, you, you still have still to go, go through the, the process. ATF process yeah. again. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But the beautiful thing is, which, you know, um, might be obvious to some people, but I was really stoked when I found out. You know, I kind of, when I came in, was thinking, you know, oh, I need a new, a different one for every single rifle yeah, I have. Totally, totally. But you yes. don't, right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of people have that perception. I do think that is, a, is an obstacle. People are like, I'm afraid I'll like it and I'll have to get one for every gun. But yeah. most people buy one for 30 cal, like we have a Banish 30, and it works mm -hmm. on pretty much every centerfire rifle you have. So yeah, um, it's, it's nice just to be able to move it from gun to gun to gun and not yeah. have to worry about getting one for everything. That was literally like... Uh, that was actually probably the point where I was like, okay, I'm sold because, um, yeah, the guy was like, oh no, you just buy one for your 30 cal and you can use it for anything. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. You know? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That was, that was awesome. So, um, so and I don't know if you did this, but we allow people to do easy pay where they can pay while they wait. We don't charge any interest or any fees. That's beneficial. I mean, you know, yeah. I used to work shows and guys are like, um, gosh, if I buy this today and, and, and put all this money out and I, and I may not see the silencer for a while, I'm always going to kill me. So that's why we said, hey, you know, if you want to put a couple hundred bucks down, just call our team. They'll get it started for you. Just pay while you wait. There's no interest. There's no fees. It's, I mean, we're in the boat with you. We want it as proved as soon as possible because it's sitting here waiting on you. Yeah. Um, okay. So... This is great, man, and I think we're probably clearing up a lot of questions for people. Um, before I move on, are there any other, like, big kind of that I missed, like, misconceptions you think that, like, people were like, uh, I don't want to do it, that kind of keep people from doing it, that you kind of hear over and over that we could clear up right away? Well, you know the process, and, of course, we got it where it's all digital, so we can send you the, you know, sign via DocuSign, so that's that's good. I think people find it odd that we can mail the suppressor to your front door. I think yeah. that creates, you know, at one point ATF said they were getting 300 calls a week asking, how does he do that? Um, <laughs> you know, the reality is there's no background check required because the ATF has already done the background check for us. And there's a federal statute that says if no background check is required, you don't have to meet face to face. So that's, that's how we're able to nice. you know sort of work through that from a, you know, federal law perspective. Cause even a lot of dealers are like, no, there's no way. Anytime there's a firearms transfer, you have to meet face to face. You know, so yeah. there's a lot of passionate, you know, people out there. They're like, oh, these guys are all wrong. There's no way this works. But, you know, it's been fully vetted. And um, like I said, we talk to ATF pretty much weekly and meet with them three times a year. So yeah, yeah, it sounds like you guys are doing everything really thing, really doing everything above board. Um, so um, I guess just for folks out there, so we can just you know clear it up. Um, because the process is super simple. You guys have really made it efficient. Um, just run us through what's it like. And of course that big question, everybody wants to know how long does it take? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you mean to run through the process kind of how it works or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So, you know, 
sort of start from the beginning of like sort of what it is. Think of it as a title transfer. I like to use the analogy of it's just like buying a truck. So the only difference is when you buy a truck, you leave the lot with it. But in our scenario, the silencer is titled to us. So the ATF has us as the title holder, okay. almost like a truck. We, when you buy the suppressor from us, we're asking the ATF to essentially retitle the ownership from us, the dealer, to you, to you gotcha. or your trust. And the feds charge a $200 fee to do that. So just like if you were to buy a truck, you had to pay the tax at the local courthouse, kind of the same concept. Mm -hmm. And then they run a background check on you to make sure you can legally own and possess a firearm on behalf of the trust. And then once they approve that, that then we'll do a 4473 with you the same thing you do when you buy a firearm right. um you know at a local store we'll do that with you digitally and then we mail it to your front door when it, once it's approved but um some of the things that we need is like the national firearms paperwork we'll send to you digitally to, to fill out and sign um we'll send you the trust to kind of fill out data entry there um that then we'll also send you a fingerprint card where the statutes mm -hmm. are written they do a background check based on your fingerprints just because in 34 when this was created there was no national you know felony database that only way they had was just if you've been arrested they would be able to tell by your fingerprints so we send you a fingerprint card and also ink to do your own fingerprints you mail it to us we scan it in uh, we have to get a picture uh, just as a two by two picture people typically think a passport but just yeah. you standing up the, against the white background wall take a picture send it to us we convert everything to digital that we get back from you so we convert your fingerprints we convert your photo we create the trust you created and all the atf paperwork we upload it to the atf website digitally and then um basically we wait for them to approve it you know there's another step in there where we probably did like a video call with you for you to confirm we fill out all the information correctly yeah. since we do, since we didn't meet with you face to face atf requires that you go through and check and make sure you fill everything that you check the box you're not a felon and that you right. um, have your own username and password that only you know when you enter in so you entered that in that's also to help just the atf confirm that we had your identity correct that you are who you say you are yeah um and we submit all that to the atf and then it comes back to us approved digitally and when it comes back approved to us digitally um we send you that 4473 form. You fill that out. Uh, we, we mail that locally to um, what they call it, a chief legal enforcement officer to let them know that we're mailing it to you. And then we have to wait seven days and then we mail it to your front door. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So the, the simple terms is think of it as a title transfer. Feds have us as the owner. We ask them to retitle it to you. They do a background check to make sure you can lawfully own it. Once they confirm you can, uh, they do the transfer and the wait time so like i mentioned when i first started the wait time was two weeks believe it or not they weren't very popular back then yeah. uh, during the obama administration i saw it, he changed some laws on the trust and i saw it jump up to almost two years wow. um, you know right now it's weird because we have paper and we have digital and e-forms originally came out in 2014 it only lasted about a year the system just got overwhelmed the amount of demand to that digital system just overwhelmed it and it mm. crashed and they just never really resurrected it because um, they had to change some things based on the the law changes but they reenacted that in almost a year ago so december 23rd of 2021 they reissued that and we had the impression it was going to be really quick like they were telling us that it was going to be 90 days but the hard part was they had about a year's worth of paperwork that uh, had come in during the pandemic yeah. that they hadn't flushed out. Gotcha. So we do feel like right now they're focused almost solely on the paper stuff that's been sitting at ATF for a long period of time. 
So their goal is to flush that out by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think based on our, our specifically, looks like they're going to make that happen. And those were all the paper ones that were submitted prior to uh, eForms launching. So the question in my mind is, they say 95% of all Form 4s that come in for silencer purchases now come in via eForms, which we submit. I feel like that if they don't have this backlog of paper, they're going to be in a better position to process the digital. They tell us it takes about 25% the amount of time to do a digital as it mm. did to do paper. So I know it's going to be quicker. Yeah. The hard part is having done this for almost 20 years, as approval times go down, demand goes up and people buy more. And then the approvals, <laughs> then the approvals start taking longer and a time takes more. So it's almost like this, you know, yeah. As they get quicker approving them, then demand goes up and more people buy them or more people buy another one. And then they then it starts slowing down the time. Right. But, you know, my my team's telling me even digital right now, well, you saw February. So, you know, it's yeah. like an eight, nine, 10 month range is mm -hmm. what people are seeing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm always hesitant to say because then people people take it so personally. If you tell like if someone called me today and of course, you know, our sales team would say, hey, we're seeing eight months right now. There's people that put that on their calendar and they'll call you at eight months and say, it's not approved. You guys lied to me. And it's like, well, no, we told you that's what it was. Yeah. We bought. A range. We, have, we have no yeah. crystal ball. We can't tell. Right. You know, I, we put a little pressure on ATF. I was up there at headquarters a few months ago and their feedback was, hey, we told you 90 days, but last year we had 375,000 applications. This year we got 800,000 applications. So um, it's easy for you all to give us a hard time for taking three times the amount of time, but you guys are yeah. sending us about three times the volume. So yeah. um, the hope is that as the government continues to see, it's not a public safety issue. And hopefully as we get more Republicans in office, we can get more examiners to process them more quickly. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, it like, it sounds like from somebody listening, like it may sound like, you know, a lot of stuff and complicated, like the way he kind of just said it. But, um, just from my perspective, and again, this is totally unbiased. Like, you know, when I did this, I had, I still have, you know, no affiliation to you guys in any way. So, um, you know, at every step of the process, um, you know, there was emails with easy step-by-step, -step, you know, um, directions. There was, uh, even videos telling you how to do it. Um, and then like when it came to the e-forms, like you literally have someone call you and walk you through the process, share the screen and your computer with you. Um, like it really, you guys really have it down to an efficient, very well yeah. done system. Um, the pic, the picture thing is super, they tell you exactly how to do it. You can do it with your cell phone camera. Um, it's really done well. Good. No. Yeah. That's, and I think with the volume we have, if we didn't have a good process, we'd be in trouble. Yeah. So, um, and just the people, <laughs> to be yeah. honest, like this crowd, I'm sure there's a lot of kind of oh, yeah. demanding type oh, yeah. customers oh, yeah. and yeah, probably yeah, even yeah. some nuts, honestly. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, funny. No, it's, um, yeah, you know, I've got probably 120 people here. That's all they do every day is make the process simple. And we meet every morning at 8.30 a.m. And I remind them of that. You know, sometimes we get busier this time of the year, but at the end of the day, some people may not see their product for eight or 10 months and they yeah. bought based on the promise that we're going to make the process easy and we're going to mail it to their front door. And we can't forget that because if we do, the people that have bought are not going to be happy and then they're not going to refer their friends. So every day mm -hmm. I just sort of hit that mantra, 
you know, how can we find ways to make it simpler? And we do yep. have like a director of uh, customer experience and she's very good about, yeah. you know, reading everything we send out to make sure that it's, you know, user friendly and that we have videos where we can and then use text messages as reminders because right. a lot of people don't read email anymore. So it's, you know, <laughs> how, how do we evolve as our customer evolves to make it even easier? Yeah. And it's always uh, cheaper from your perspective to retain a customer than oh, yeah. get a new one, sign a new one. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Cause if someone has a good experience, um, you know, some, some people like it's, it's like a big accomplishment to have made it through the process and get a silencer just yeah. for them personally, like, Oh, I made it through. I got a suppressor, you know, like, uh, you know, it's almost like a security clearance for them or something. So they yeah. tell their friends, it's almost like a bragging, like, Hey, I yeah. got this. And these guys take care of everything and they make it easy call. Them and you know, yeah. but the, the good thing is what you sort of articulated to me is we have a good system in place. Like everything mm -hmm. is automated. Like once you do one thing, the system then asks you to do this. Yeah. Like everything is just, it flows really well. Yeah. It's very buttoned down and there's and a lot you get of confirmation that make you feel warm and fuzzy inside yeah, that's good that's perfect that's <laughs> um, believe me we've had years where those weren't in place so it just it's it's an evolution but like i said we've been doing almost 20 years started yeah five um so kind of taking it um a little bit back from the kind of specifics of you know suppressors and stuff um you know just from an entrepreneurial standpoint a business standpoint like you have built a large and um, very, in my opinion, well-run company. Um, are there some core values that you think are essential to building a successful business that you kind of live by or run the company by? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good question. So we do have um, a set of core values that we, um, you know, focus on here. And you know, our, our biggest focus is integrity. And the example we typically use is with ATF. I mean, if they call and say, how are you doing this? I think they find it odd when we're honest with them. I'm not saying everyone's <laughs> dishonest with them, but I sense they're like, really, you just told us that knowing that it's not what we want to hear. And it's like, yeah, well, we want to fix it if it's not right. Um, so integrity definitely has been very beneficial to us. Um, it just... It, it also helps with communicating with customers because sometimes things don't go as great as you would think. I mean, I've seen system errors where somehow I'd put a guy in as a female instead of a male and then he gets his form, you know, they send it back to us, correct. It might add a delay or, you know, it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's just being honest with them saying, Hey, we made a mistake. Our system somehow put in the wrong thing. Uh, you know, we want to work with you to make sure you're happy and how do we fix it? So integrity definitely also really focus on the customer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mentioned that me working gun shows, I think that's so important. Like if, and you know, there's a lot of great manufacturers of suppressors out there, but if you think about it, they probably have five customers. They sell to wholesalers. Whereas me uh, having worked gun shows, I've talked to thousands of people and I can see in their eyes, what's important to them. And what I've uncovered my sort of my business mission is to make the process easy, which yeah. is completely different than really anyone else in the business. Everyone else is, you know, well, to have this or have that. Our whole sole focus is making the process easy because in my opinion, when someone would come to our booth, 99% of their questions were about the process. And once they could sense that we have the process nailed down, like you've experienced, then they say, all right, I want to get one. How do I get started? They don't yeah. really say I want a Dodge or Chevy or Ford. They just say, Hey, you got, has got it figured out. That was my biggest concern. Help me figure out what I need now and let's move it forward. Yeah. So 
really focusing on that, you know, customer has been the, the sort of the key to our success too. So obviously the integrity part through the whole process and then focused on the customer. And then the last thing that we put as one of our core values is winning. I mean, I, you know, growing up in the South college football, you know, you love when the team that wasn't supposed to win wins oh, yeah. just because they, they put it all together and found a way to succeed. I mean, we've had a lot of obstacles over the years. I mean, dealing with the federal government, trying to get licensed in 43 States and, you know, in 42 States, um, that earned me a, you know, a, a expense paid trip on my own to meet with the ATF and get sort of beat up by 40 <laughs> of their bureaucrats. And I, I would say they were probably hoping I wouldn't make it through. I think in mm. retrospect, they told me they didn't think I was going to make it through. And their goal was to, you know, sort of intimidate me and brush it up, brush me up and add so many regulations. I couldn't handle it. But we always, you know, stepped up to the plate and showed them that we could do it. And we were organized and we were professional. And sometimes we weren't making any money because we were going through all these regulations they were requiring. And then yeah. once we mastered them, we found ways to streamline them and make them easier. So yeah. that last, so the first component is integrity. And the second is focus on the customer. And then the third one really is just finding a way to win, you know, winning at all yeah. costs sounds horrible, but it's just always thinking about how do we win? How do we win for the customer? How do we win for second amendment? How do we win for hunters? How do we win for people that want to go through the process, but think it's overwhelming or it's going to be tough. You know, how, right. do, we, how do we create a win for them? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's truly an accomplishment what you've done because you have a product with a high like like they always say like remove barriers to sale. Like you want people yeah. to just be able to just buy, 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 buy. Yeah. You have a product that's like you're asking someone like you said to buy something they're not going to see for almost a year. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it requires a lot of like effort to buy yeah. this thing. It's totally. not cheap. Yep. You're dealing with the federal government and oh. state government, which is like a pain. Yep. So, like, this is, like, a big-time accomplishment that you're able to do this um, and build a successful, well-run company. Um, so, I'm interested, like, you know, in really, honestly, you personally, like, um, what are some things you've built into your personal life, you as an individual, Brandon, um, to make you a high-performing, successful individual? Good question. Um, you know, I'm a big reader, so I always try to get, you know, ideas from other people that have been there, done that. Um, I'm also part of a, a CEO like group that I meet with every month. So tomorrow on Thursday, I'll go there for a full day and you meet with other CEOs. And what I love about that is, and I just recently started that, but what I love about it is you're able to bounce ideas off people that aren't in your industry. Yeah. They kind of, they can level set you and help Completely you. different perspective. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's so valuable. Um, you know, I, the, the interesting, I think the hard part about this job initially was I, I was the guy answering the phone during the week. And then on the weekend, I was the guy working the show. So it was yeah. kind of, a, you know, 24, seven, seven days a week kind of thing. Um, now that my kids are younger, it's like, you know, how do I find time to spend time with them and then let the people that are here running the business, run the business and not make them think I'm in their sandbox and let them, but also the compliance part's still in my head. So I have to, you know, be very buttoned down and hands-on on every process because if you, if you don't watch it, operations will always try to make something easier. And then you have to go back and say, hey, there's a reason why we do that. It's a compliance requirement. You know, it'd obviously be easier to do it other ways, but we got to make sure that we're remaining compliant and doing it based on what, you know, is expected of us. But mm -hmm. that's a good question. I can't think of, um, trying to think of other Are there ways you manage, like manage stress, like things that you do in your personal well, you gotta life. You got to focus on your faith. I mean, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's the, because gosh, I mean, the time I went and met with the ATF and there's 40 or 50 people in there and you know, you're like, wow, I'm going to make it through this. <laughs> so, 
it just yeah. yeah over time and 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 also you've probably seen this in life too once you get a couple successes then it gives you a little bit more confidence and then you take on more yeah the next time and then more the next time and then more i the killed next the bear time. and i killed the lion i'll take yeah. on this philistine <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> no totally yeah no it's it's been fun and exciting i mean like i said rarely i can't think of anyone i've ever found who once they got one and shot it who's like man this is awesome yeah i wish i'd done this you know years ago um yeah no and it's fun too like even the bank that sort of supports us people don't realize you know people in the second amendment industry understand the obstacles i mean paypal won't work with us google won't work with us yeah. we can't do advertising we can't do facebook ads we can't do instagram ads we're really blocked mm. out of everything wow Banks typically won't lend to you because they consider it, you know, higher risk and it's firearms. So when you're able to succeed and overcome like all these sort of obstacles that society creates against you, um, it does make you feel better. It also makes you a tighter knit group. When you do beat with yeah. other people that have overcome the same obstacles, you're like, wow, you kind of went through the same thing and you're able to find ways to make it happen too. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I apologize. I'm getting too personal here. It's just like, it's kind of part of the theme of the podcast is yeah. spirituality and stuff. And yeah. knowing that you're a man of faith, like, um, you said, focus on your faith. Um, do you have any, anything like for me, I, I just try to wake up like an hour early before my kids get up and, yeah. and spend time in the word and kind of pray and stuff. Do you have anything like that that you do to try to keep, uh, um, cause I'm the same way, man. Like, you know, when stuff gets hard, like, you know, I have to lean back like on God, you know, he's my rock. So like, I, I, you know, that's huge for me. Is there anything yeah. that you kind of, um, have built so, into your life to do that? Yeah. So I like to walk at night for usually about an hour. And then cool. that's where, you know, I, I spend most of the time saying, Hey, <laughs> I don't have it figured out. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to lean on you to help me figure out what I'm doing and help, you know, it's almost like I'm requesting that either you send the right people to me to help me make the right decision. Or if yeah. I feel like something's not going right, how can you help me like see that? Um, and it, it's, it seems to really help. Cause you know, it's just uh, for sure. Cause then you start feeling that divine intervention. Like when you do meet someone and you're like, Oh my gosh, like you're the exact person I needed at this time. Yeah. Um, it sort of, it sort of reaffirms the whole process of the benefit of just admitting, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Every day is a new day. And I feel like I'm making a lot of mistakes. You know, can you help me see the right path or help me get in contact with the right person so yeah. that I'll know the right thing to do? Cause the, the hard part for me um, with the pharmaceutical industry is, um, you know, I was like the top sales manager in the country and I had like a ton of success. So to get fired for doing the suppressors just felt like a real, like sort of the, the rug was, yeah pulled out completely underneath me um and and that's when i just i went to god and i was like man i feel like every time i give 100 percent and i focus and i and i'm being successful it, it's not the plan that you have for me because i always seem to just get hit like right in the face like mm. it's just it's like a reminder that the more time i put in the the less success i have so you know it just sort of in an angry manner i was like you got to show me what i got to do you got to and it was interesting because my um, my attorney, I said, hey, should I try to sue that company for firing me? He's like, dude, that's rear view mirror. You got to focus on the future. Yeah. And within a few days, I got another job from another pharmaceutical company paying more. And I told him, no, that, you know, I'm going to focus. I'm going to double down on the firearms. I'm going to be, you know, self-employed and not have to worry about someone firing nice. me because of what I'm doing. I ended up working part time as a pharmacist, just more counting pills just to you know, pay the bills until I could get the silencer thing up and running. But, yeah. um, 
and it was it was just verification look at the pill make sure it's in the right bottle and i just you know worked that for 30 40 hours a week until i could wean off and then focus solely on this and then it feels like um things did take off better it feels like it was part of a plan which is for sure uh, yeah it, it does give you a it, it just it reconfirms that you're doing the right stuff by asking God to help you when it does turn out well. Then it just makes you ask again, how, yeah. you know, hey, I feel like I'm heading the right direction. Gosh, this feels so good. Help me get to the next thing. What is it for me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I love I love the thing about like walking and praying at night. It's kind of, um, you know, adding some moving your body at the same yeah. time, kind of some mental and or physical and spiritual thing. And, and yeah, the humility piece is so big. God, I mean, God just wants to help people to have like a humble spirit. Yeah. And bring his your request to him. And then the other thing I thought about when you're saying is I heard a pastor say one time, like the most dangerous thing in the world is being successful at the wrong thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I think where I fall behind is giving him the glory. Like once it's successful, like if I'm walking, I might spend the first half of the walk. Hey, you know, I just want to recognize and call out and and give you the glory for this having worked out. So that it yeah. doesn't feel like I'm just sitting there all the time asking for something, you know? Absolutely. That, that's, that's great, man. Um, well, cool, man. I appreciate you talking to me about that stuff. Um, um, I just had a couple more questions. We're almost done. Yeah, I don't take up too much sure. of your time. Oh, um, um, you have your finger kind of on the pulse of, you know, federal government and, you know, like I said, compliance and all that stuff. So I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, you hear a lot of guys, a lot of people doom and gloom and some people are the opposite, you know, just as a general like society um how do you see like what's like the state of the union as far as like second amendment and like where we're headed like are you are you kind of worried by some of the stuff coming out of this current administration or you think it's mainly rhetoric do you think um you know is the future bright is it gloomy or neutral like what do you kind of what's the pulse like yeah, good question. So what I've seen federally is typically you see it enacted at a state level first. So what I do is I typically watch what I would consider the blue states and try to figure out what they're doing firearms related, because whatever they do at a state level, if it's implemented and put into place, it then becomes a playbook for federal. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a little concerned about that issue that got uh, approved in Oregon, talking to some people in Oregon. It feels like that maybe the way it was worded is a little confusing. And I think putting it on the ballot issue surprised some people. I was kind of surprised it got passed. Um, but I do think that if you start seeing more things change at a state level, then it's going to eventually move to a federal level. I don't think that the Biden administration right now has the votes to get anything done outside of like executive orders. I think even having, um, you know, the House of uh, Representatives now being Republican, creating a little bit more oversight with Jim Jordan and sort of the Judiciary Committee oversight over ATF. They know someone's looking over their shoulder, putting them on the stand for, you know, testimony. I think that's going to keep them in check at a federal level, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as far as the overall state, I mean, the hard, the hard part is when I first started doing this, it wasn't legal to hunt in, in every state. And now we're 41 out of 40, 42 with states that are legal. Yeah, and 41 states you can hunt with a suppressor now. So I've seen it move in a positive direction. And silencers weren't legal in 42 states when I started either. Even bordering me, Iowa and Minnesota, it used to be legal, and now they've turned lawful. So um, of the few things I've seen positive change over time, it's been – um, suppressor related and hunting with suppressors. But, um, you know, I always say what's best, typically people in the firearms industry will say what's best for business is Democrats. If people feel like there's fear, they may lose it. They'll buy more. From my perspective, I don't want laws to change. So I love gridlock. Um, yeah. 
good luck. I think that's helpful. Yeah. You know, I've started spending more time and money up in DC just to educate elected officials. And it takes a long time. Like even my state elected officials, we have a nice building. We have a lot of employees. I try to invite them every time they're up for reelection or in the state to come by. I think that's helped. Some of them, it's taken many years. I mean, I used to call on Christy Nolan when she was our in the House of Representatives. Now that she's our governor, I know her really well. And I feel like that if there was an issue impacting us as an industry, that her team would reach out to me and get my feedback, which is really where you want to be. You want to be in yeah. a position where you have advocates, but also if they don't hear from you and they don't know what's good and what's bad, they can't help you. So it's having that open communication with their team and then having access to them. Um you know, I think it's status quo for a while. I obviously hope that we get more, you know, a Republican president in yeah. and that, that'll uh, soften things up again. But, you know, the pendulum is always swinging. I don't mm -hmm. feel like there's been enough negative um, situations in the media for there to drive any additional actions, hopefully, yeah. at a national level. Well, that's good. Um, um Real quick, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was I know you just guys released that something a new product that yes. would be probably very interesting to my listeners. What, yeah. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, so um, a lot of people kept saying, hey, can you make a lighter, shorter, effective suppressor? And, um, you know, the concept being I want something super light, like so light that it's easy for me to justify carrying it on a backcountry hunt and – it's easy for me to, um, you know, still be hearing safe. So after a couple of years of R&D, we came up with a Banish Backcountry. Nice. And it's only five and a half inches um, long for his length on it. And it's 7.8 ounces in weight. And and what's the, the regular Banish 30? Uh, regular Banish 30 goes out to nine inches. So it's modular. So you could take it down to right. seven. Um, and what's the weight on that one? It's like 16 ounces full and it's like, um, you know, 10 in the modular. Okay. So that's a significant weight reduction. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so the interesting thing about the Banish backcountry is the baffles are all welded together. So it's really super light. There's no tube per se. Um, it's very effective just from a call, you know, from a suppression of the silencer, people are afraid, oh, it's going to be too short. The diameter is a little bit bigger. It's like 1.6, a normal diameter is 1.5. So it's just a little bit bigger diameter wise, but length it's short, doesn't add that much length to the end of the barrel. It's super light being that it's all titanium. Um, it's been very, very well received. I mean, the hard part, like you said, is sometimes it takes so long to get one. It's hard to get a whole lot of uh, positive feedback, but just some of the people that we've sent out with it so far have been, um, like just wow impressed but it's it's there's never really been in my mind a suppressor created specifically for the backcountry and the yeah. whole goal being super lightweight and also quiet um it's a small niche. I mean, it's not for everyone, but we find a lot of hunters too have been hesitant to buy a silencer because it might add too much uh, length to the end of right. the barrel. So by having this five and a half inch one is very attractive. Yeah. I mean, yeah, guys that guys like me who <laughs> we're already carrying tons of weight like yeah. um you know spend all this money on getting six pound rifles like yeah. um that's that's important for for people oh, yeah. so i think it's a smart move and um i just wish you'd released it a year ago oh, <laughs> it's, no. it's okay i'll get another one it's okay I'll get um well that's cool man um yeah this has been great um i don't know is there anything else you want to say just kind of closing thoughts or anything that's kind of pretty much all i had yeah no um you know, a lot of people ask me, like, the best way to get in touch with us, best, you know, mm -hmm. how. So, Silencer Central, you know, you can do a Google search for Silencer Central, silencercentral.com, and look online. 
But honestly, the best feedback I get is if you just call. I mean, we have a full call center here, and it's yeah. all guys that hunt, and they can answer every question you have. They'll cover the stuff like you talked about on the process. Um, they can set it up where you pay while you wait. It just we find that if we ask people to rate their experience at Silencer Central, it's always so much better if they talked to a person live doesn't yeah. mean you can't buy on our website i mean it's automated yeah. it'll take care of it but then i think you feel like you have a person in the process that you can email or call and have questions yeah. with um, that's what i did i talked to the i called him and uh, he was good because i called like all right well, i'm just gonna you know get some you know ask some questions and by the end of it i was like I already had bought one by the end of the conversation. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just find that people have a better experience because then if they, if they buy it online and if they have a question, yeah. you know, of course they call our customer service, but it just seems like yeah. just, it, there's no, it doesn't cost anything to call. We got a full call center here to want to yeah. talk to you guys. That's, you know, just go and to it's website, not some random call know. center, like some dude in no, India, like here. it's a guy who knows about the suppressors and stuff. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Well, cool, man. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate yeah. it. And I'm um, looking forward to, uh, probably here in a couple of days getting mine and, and getting go. out in the range with it i love it perfect well i appreciate you having us on the show yeah man thanks for your time absolutely